Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, back in 2005, I had the opportunity to go on a four-month-long mission trip to China and Thailand. And, and still to this day, I look back on this trip as one of the most significant uh, faith-growing experiences of my entire life. And one of the many things that I learned on this trip was this idea of unity which we're going to be talking about today. And, and I want to explain this a little bit because uh, to understand what that means, you had to understand the setting of our trip. So I was a part of a larger team that started out the mission trip in two different countries. So there was a, our ultimate destination was Thailand, uh, and we would meet halfway through the trip and join the team in Thailand. But my team, we started in China. And so if you don't know anything about these two countries, there is a vast difference in the types of mission trips you can take to these countries. So China is what's considered a closed country. And back then, it was even more closed to the ideas of Christianity and God. And so while we were on this trip, we literally had police officers that traveled around and kind of investigated what we were doing the whole time. So we had to be very secretive. We had to be very calculated and we had to use code words for everything. And literally, I remember one time I was on the phone with one of our missionaries scheduling uh, uh, something we were going to do. And you could hear whispering on the phone because the phone lines were tapped. And at any moment, we could be arrested and either deported or we could be sent uh, or put in jail just because we were Christ followers. And so that is where my team started for the first two months of this trip. And then we joined our rest of our team in Thailand. And Thailand is considered an open country where you, you, it, there's really not a big risk for being a Christian there. And they're open to, to many faiths and ideas and things like that. And so to say that this was a hard transition for my team that started in China would be a, a vast understatement. To be a vast understatement. And so the, the problem was when our teams joined together, there was fighting and there was disunity and there was frustration. And this is the way we've been doing things for the past two months. And so we thought, my team thought that we were the real missionaries and the other team had it easy. And that, I'm glad that you laughed because looking back on it, it is funny and it's ridiculous. It's funny and it's ridiculous. So uh, uh, honestly, if I were to be real with you, I was a big part of that uh, disunity and, and a big part of the, that tension that kind of began to build in our team. Because in our eyes, we were doing the real missionary work. We were the ones that had it hard and we had it tough and we had to be secretive about it. And we had to kind of uh, be very, very cognizant of everything that we were doing. And so we kind of got in our mind that like, yeah, look at us. We've been in a closed country. You know, we've been doing the hard stuff while you've been on the beach playing with kids. So there was tension. And luckily, we had some really good leaders, a part of these two teams that literally looked at us and said, hey, enough is enough. And they sat us in a room and they said, do not leave this room until you can come out unified. You can come out of this room being unified because we are here for a purpose and for a reason. And you are wasting your trip. You're wasting your trip. Because we had the wrong perspective. We had the wrong idea of what it means to be Christ followers, which brings me to my big idea for the day. And it's this, is that unity requires sacrifice. Unity requires sacrifice because our teams, we were more concerned with the work that we were doing and who is the most important and who was doing the real missionary work that we were not even there for the proper reason. We were so focused on ourselves that we didn't care about the rest of the team. We didn't care about what the team in Thailand was doing because we were in China doing hard work and we were cold. 
We're continuing in our Mission Redemption series, and our title for our sermon today is Jesus' Prayer for You. And Pastor Ed kind of uh, brought up and started the first section of his prayer last week, and we're going to continue that today. But each week in this series, we've been kind of walking up to, we're leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. And there's this moment that we're in now. It's the Thursday before the first Good Friday. And Jesus is having what we call the upper room discourse. And he's talking with the disciples and he's kind of laying out the final uh, kind of challenges and final encouragements and the final truth for his disciples. But what I want to do today is I want to kind of go through the timeline before we get to our scripture, because a lot is going on in the life of Jesus. And it's so easy for us to kind of uh, drop onto one verse and kind of forget the context of what's going on. And so uh, to to kind of uh, bring us up to speed, so to speak, what has happened recently right before this story is that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's such an important part because it kind of kicks off the story of what's going on. Because when, when, when Lazarus is raised from the dead, the word about Jesus really began to spread. It's like, who is this guy that can raise people from the dead? And so the story of his miracles begin to spread. And with that, the religious leaders kind of start hearing about what's going on. And we see in scripture that they become increasingly more uncomfortable. And they kind of begin to have these secret meetings with one another. Like, how are we going to address this Jesus guy? He says he's God. And now he is raising people from the dead. Then the Sunday before our story, we have the, the, what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry for Jesus. He's coming into Jerusalem and people are singing and worshiping and, and they're happy and they're like throwing palm leaves. And they're like, this is the guy we've been waiting for and we, we've waited for so long and now he's coming to Jerusalem to conquer everyone. When the truth is, is he was actually coming to die on a cross. So he has this triumphant entry. Then you have the Wednesday before. And the Sanhedrin kind of puts this plot into motion to kill Jesus. And when Jesus hears about this, he doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He doesn't leave Jerusalem. He tells the disciples, my time has come and I will soon die for you and for all mankind. Then we have this interchange of Judas kind of agreeing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then we come to the Thursday and Jesus is with his disciples and he's giving them those final challenges. And he literally starts off this meal by washing his disciples feet. And he's telling them, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant of all. And right in the middle of this story, what do the disciples do? Hey, I'm the most important disciple. I know Jesus is washing our feet and telling us to be a servant for all, but you know what? I am the better disciple. I'm better than all you guys. And so this fight, not fight, but this argument kind of begins to break out. And they're saying, hey, you know, I'm better than you and you're better than me. And I'm one of the, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And all of this conversation happens and we laugh because we find ourselves in that space so often focused on the wrong thing. And so Jesus in the middle of this discussion goes, hey, you guys that are talking about who's the best, one of you is about to betray me. What? Not me. I wouldn't betray. Not Jesus. There's no way. It's not me, says Judas. And then we have the Lord's Supper, where Jesus says, on the night he betrayed, he broke bread and he gave thanks, saying, this is my body. And he poured the wine. He says, this is my blood poured out for you. And then seemingly as a footnote, Judas is dismissed for the sole purpose of betraying Jesus. And last week, Pastor Ed started this prayer that we're going to continue today. And his his big idea, if you weren't with us, was your only protection in a fallen world is the truth of the gospel. And that Jesus started out praying for himself and then he led into the prayer for his disciples and he prayed unity over them and he prayed unity over us. And we're going to continue that thread this week. 
but I want you to have the context of what's going on because it makes his prayer so much more powerful because Jesus is going through all of these things and he could be doing anything at this moment as he prepares for the cross, but he stops everything and he prays for you and he prays for me. That's so powerful. There were four things in the beginning of uh, John chapter 17 that I want to address real quick that Pastor Ed spoke on last week, the four things that got Jesus prayed to God on our behalf. In verse 11, he prayed that God would protect them and protect us by the power of his name. In verse 13, that they would be filled with Jesus's joy and that we would be filled with Jesus's joy. In verse 15, that God would keep them safe from the evil one and keep us safe as well. Then in John 17, that God would make them holy by his truth and teach them his word. Which brings us to John chapter 17, verse 20. And I want you to listen to Jesus's prayer for you. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. This is so amazing because there are very few times in the scriptures that directly connects to us as modern day believers. And this is one of those moments is praying for his disciples and for all who will ever believe. So these verses, these words from Jesus are directly to you. And I want you to take them as such this morning. It says, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. And you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us. For what purpose? So the world will believe you sent me. This is powerful. Jesus' prayer directly to you this morning we're sitting and you who are watching online is that we would be united. That we would be one as God the Father and God the Son are one. Just think about that. Jesus, the creator of everything we see, our savior, the one who created the world and died on a cross for your sins is praying that you and I would be unified. If there was ever a time to lean into scripture and soak up the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word, it's this. So his prayer for us is that we would be united. For what purpose? So the world would believe. So the world would believe who Jesus was. So the world would believe that Jesus came to this earth and died. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be united. Let's pick back up in verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you have given me because you loved or you loved me even before the world began. I, I love this as Jesus is literally crying out to his father on his way, his eyes fixed on the cross. And he is praying for us that we would be unified. He's praying that we would know the power of God's love. So we are to be unified so the world would know Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. When the world looks at you and how you live your life and how you interact with the world, do you live a life that is marked by unity and love or not? Because here's the truth. I want, I want to bring this home all the way to our congregation. Are we a congregation that is marked with unity, 
with unity and love. Because if, we're not, if we are not marked by unity and love inside these walls, then we will never be that way outside of these walls. If we're not a people that love one another and sacrifice for one another here, then what are we doing? See, for far too long, we have let everything but what's important get in the way of our unity. Our own agenda, our own thoughts, our own perceptions, our own way of we've been raised. And we begin to focus more and more and more on ourselves and less on the people around us. Like in my story earlier, we were laughing about how ridiculous it was that we were caring about ourselves more than each other. But as I look back on that story, we're literally on a mission trip with the sole focus of bringing people to Christ. And what was our focus? On who was more important. On who was having the harder trip. On who was making the most impact. Our focus was on ourselves and not the gospel. And as I look back on that, I'm I'm ashamed. I'm heartbroken by my actions. But guys, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's look around. That same attitude is happening right in our midst today. And it's time to stop. It's time to show this world something different. And it starts with me. And it starts with you right here in this place. Let's continue in verse 25. It says, Oh, righteous father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I, re- I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. I love how Jesus ends his prayer. One of the final things he says before he's arrested, he's praying for us. And it's this idea, this one final call for love, this one final call for unity. Because the truth is, is that we live in a world that increasingly has rejected God more and more. So it is a true statement when Jesus says the world does not know you. But guess what? It's our job to change that. It's our job to change that narrative. And it only happens if we sacrifice for one another. It only happens if we are a people marked with love and marked with unity. So the question is, how how do we get there? How do we become a people of unity? How do we put aside the differences and the agendas and the arguments? I believe it's two main things that I want to help apply this today. And the first is that unity, this idea of being unified, unity is all about perspective. That unity in the body starts with having a correct perspective. And then ultimately it ends in sacrifice. Because I'm I'm good with uh, kind of illustrations to make a point. And so I want you to think of it this way. If my perspective is right down at my feet, and that's the only perspective that I have, and I'm only caring about myself, I will never see the needs around me. And I will only be worrying about what happens to me. But if our perspective is up and it's looking around, we can see the needs of others. But I want to take that idea a step further. If the people you surround yourself with, if their perspective is looking out for other people, then guess what? You are also being looked out for. That's what unity in the body means, that every single one of us, our focus and our attention and our perspective is on the needs around us and not focused down at our feet. I want to jump to Philippians because Paul in his writings many, many times talks about this idea of unity in the body. And it's no, no, no more important than in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. 
I want you to listen to the power of these words. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Listen to this. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse three, this is so powerful. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Just imagine if each one of us took that verse seriously. Just imagine how much different our lives would be. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than ourselves is more important. Verse four, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others as well. That's that idea of looking at our feet. Don't only look out for your own interests, but look up. Have your perspective, have your focus on the needs of others as well. See, I think a sad reality is that in our day-to-day lives outside of these walls, we forget what it means to be a Christ follower. Life becomes too busy, the task list too long, the energy and temperance to deal with other people becomes smaller and smaller. And we forget that we are called to sacrifice for one another. Jesus in his final prayer on his way to lay his life down for us, prays for unity. And later on in scripture, it literally says, we will suffer just as Christ suffered. That if we want to consider ourselves little like Christ or Christians or Christ followers, however you want to categorize that, it means you will suffer. And we are called to sacrifice for one another. It means that we put aside our agendas. We put aside the things that we think are most important. Because Jesus' focus was on redeeming a lost world. And that is precisely what we are called to do as well. We put aside everything for the sake of the gospel. Let me put that a little clearer for you. Everything else in life is secondary to the gospel. Everything else in life is secondary to the gospel. Being unified means that we put everything else aside for the sake of the gospel. Let's continue. Oh, sorry. Uh, I went forward one slide too quickly. I apologize. Our, our next thing that we need to, our, to be unified is that we embrace humility and we reject arrogance. We embrace humility and we reject arrogance. That's how we get to this idea of unity in the body. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 12. My notes are going all over the place. What? There we go. It says, since, what is going on here? Since, since God chose you to be his holy people, whom he loves. I am sorry, my notes are doing weird stuff right now. I am so sorry. There we go. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Listen to this. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's no other options. There's no other way of doing it. 
Christ forgave you, so you forgive others. It could not be more clear. It could not be more clear. I, I love this idea of clothe yourselves because it almost makes, it, it makes you think this way. Um, every single one of you, when you left to come to church this morning, you put on clothes, right? You, you looked in the mirror, you made sure your hair was right. Maybe some of you gentlemen, you shaved. I did not. Brush your teeth. You, you made yourself presentable and you left your house. Paul is almost giving that same idea that before you start your day, before you leave your house, make a point to clothe yourselves, to wrap yourselves with humility, with kindness, with love, with compassion. You know what that takes? It takes effort and it takes action. It's not passive. Now, I'm not saying when you get home, it's okay to not be kind and compassionate. You can take those. I'm not saying that. Everyone here is like, well, Jeff said that I don't have to be passionate when I get home. So we're good to go now. No, I think you get my point. That it takes action. That, that, that unity is not just going to happen all by itself by osmosis. It's just going to take us looking at one another, having the perspective of you are more important than me. So instead of me pushing my agenda on you and what I think and how I feel, I'm going to listen and be compassionate towards you. I'm going to make you more important than me. And if you are making me more important than you, then what happens? Unity. Then Paul tells us to make allowances for one another. And we forgive those who offend us. I want you to think about this for a second. This is going to be a shocker of a statement to some of you. Did you know that you can still be in unity with someone who offends you? Did you know that someone can offend you? Someone can hurt your feelings. Someone can treat you really, really poorly but you can still be in unity with them. Someone could have a different set of values or maybe they're from a different denomination, maybe from a different political view, but you can still be in unity with them. You want to know how? You put the sake of the gospel before your offenses. You put the sake of the gospel first and everything else what? Secondary. It's not easy. If it were easy, every one of us would be living in perfect unity right now. But it's hard. And it's going to get harder. But for far too long, we have let people's offense offending us give us the freedom for some, somehow, some way we've convinced ourselves that if someone offends us, all bets are off. Well, they offended me, Jeff, so therefore I can now treat them however I want to. That's not biblical. That's literally the exact opposite of what God has called us to do. It's time to change that mentality and say, you know what? That person offended me. Maybe they have something really hard going on in their life. So instead of being offended by what they said, let me find out why they're so angry. Let me care about their thoughts and feelings and emotions. And maybe they just had a really bad day. And for whatever reason, they're taking it out on me. Well, how dare they treat me that way? A Christian means we will suffer like Christ suffered. We put their opinions, we put their thoughts, we put their emotions before our own. And we take a step back and we take a breath and we say, you know what? Something is going on in this person's life. Let me care more about that than me being offended. Turn me to verse 14 and we're going to close out our scripture today. And this, this verse is so incredibly powerful. It says, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Above all, clothe yourselves, wrap yourself in unity and in love. And let Christ rule your hearts, rule your words, and rule your actions. And when we do that, our perspective is correct. And when our perspective is correct, something amazing can happen. A world that normally rejects God could begin to lean in and say, you know what? I want to know more about this. I've heard my whole life that Christians just are mean and, and they're, they're judgmental. And, you know, I look at the way they live their lives and they're in disunity and they're arguing just as much as me. So why would I want to have anything to do with that? No, when we show the world something different, they lean in and they say, you know what? Something is different about these people. Something different is over there at Magnolia's First Baptist Church. And I want to be a part of that. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be unified so the world would believe. And for far too long, we've let the things of this world break us apart. We've let our political views or our views on this pandemic going on right now, we've let those things break us apart and do damage to the gospel. It's time to show the world something different. It's time to show the world unity and love and sacrifice. So I want to leave you with one next step challenge today that I hope will help you kind of take this message to heart. So if there is any disunity in your life, do your part to make things right. If there is any disunity in your life right now, do your part to make things right. And I say your part because being disunified takes two people. but I challenge you to take the first step. Well, Jeff, you don't know what that person's done to me. You don't know how deep those wounds are and how long I've been angry with that person. We used to be best friends. We used to be in the same Sunday school class together. Maybe it's time to drop the hurt. Maybe it's time to drop the offenses and pick up unity for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to come before you right now and I just thank you so much for today, Lord. And I pray that this message could be used by your Holy Spirit to challenge us and call us to unity for the sake of the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we just need you so, so much. And you pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, guys, have a nice week, and thank you for joining us. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for us said you died.
its breath till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who had come to the father are restored and the church of Desperation, hard times, in conversations, no one should ever love me like you do. Sometimes my bad decisions define my false suspicions, no one should ever love me like you do. Save my hand somehow you read. 